Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey, everybody, Chad Madden here with another episode of the Grow Your Practice podcast. And today, a very special guest, fellow Pennsylvanian here. Uh, private practice owner, Chris uh, Gordos. Uh, Chris is, uh, again, I think our paths have crossed multiple times here during our careers, um, working together, growing our practices together. Welcome to the call here, Chris. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Great. So we're about to do a deep dive into a, a specialty area or a, an area of special interest for you, which is um, university DPT education and also uh, how to financial financially manage your money as you're coming out. Why is this important? You know, myself as an owner, we have these DPTs coming out of school with 150 to 240K in debt, and it definitely influences um, the, the workplace environment um, and our negotiation as well. But before we get into that, I just wanted to know if you could fill in the blanks, let everybody know where your practice is at, how long you've been in uh, business, what you're focused on right now with your private practice. Sure, so um, I graduated from the University of Scranton in 1997. Um, I worked for NovaCare uh, for a couple of years, then went to a physician-owned PT practice, went back to NovaCare, and then eventually was presented the opportunity to take over um, a place where there was another PT before, but the, um, the building owners who were actually medical providers um, wanted a new, they, they asked me to come and take over the place. So that was in 2009. Um, two days before I graduated, I, went, I got my transition of doctorate. So I opened in 2009, June 1st of 2009 with one employee myself. And then by October, Capital Blue Cross cut our reimbursement by 50%. You know, so that was a 25% reduction off the top. Um, the original practice uh, was going to call Greater Burke's Physical Therapy, which was going to be the four providers, our initials also, GBPT. Um, and then we were going to have four offices within two years. Um, however, that... Um, 50% reduction, which is 25% overall, uh, pretty much hampered that to I'm still at one office right now in 2021. Um, I hired uh, one of my past students, one of the people that was the initials. Uh, so Eric Parrish started with me in 2010. Uh, he was a past student of mine. Um, so, and then I let him, we worked out an arrangement that he bought into the practice. Then um, by 2004, he was 50% uh, ownership in there. And then we joined... Um, Breakthrough, oh God, I'd have to look and I probably should know this off my head. I want to say we joined the group around 2017, 18, something like that. Um, prior to that point in time, we were stuck, could never get over 120 visits um, per week. And that's kind of where we were at. And it was profitable, but it wasn't growing. Um, and then since that point in time, we kept growing and growing until right before the pandemic hit. Um, we had our two busiest months in January and February. We saw 655 monthly visits, um, which was huge for us. Um, so 169 weekly visits was our top. Um, closed for six weeks, worst decision I ever made. Um, made the best decision we had at that point in time, but we did close for six weeks. Opened back up around 45 visits. Um, we're stuck at around 85% um, for a while. And then back this most recent March, um, we saw 820, I'm gonna get this wrong, 823 visits in March. So beforehand, the busiest we ever was 655. Um, we ramped up to 183 visits um, in, in a week. So we're before the pandemic, we were talking about opening another clinic and bring on a, a fourth PT. We have a third PT right now. 
Um, and we had put that all on hold. Now it's like, okay, do we start to revisit that or not? Um, just a little bit gun shy, uh, just because of you want to make sure there's a longer um, past runway to make sure that this is actually sustainable. Um, and I know it's not just our practice. This is you know across the board when I talk to my peers. Uh, people just seem to be busier just because people have held off going and they're getting their vaccine shots and coming out. Uh, we have a waiting list for the first time ever to get into our office. Uh, we've never had to do that before. And it's kind of hard. It goes against everything I stand for of trying to get everybody within 24 to 48 hours. But I also have to get home occasionally to see my family. So um, that's kind of who I am. So did I answer every question? I'm sorry. Oh, I, I, you covered a lot of ground in a short period of time there. That, okay. that was great. So thanks for the update there. You just hit highest ever. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this because as a uh, treating clinician with a waiting list. Um, I, I very much get that. So thank you for doing this, Chris. Oh, no problem. Great. So the one thing that you mentioned in there early in the beginning is a former student. I, I understand that you have had a ton of students over the years. Can you give me a ballpark of how many students? Um, about seven years ago, I stopped counting at 100 um, because it just made me seem really old. Um, so I think at our the current office I'm at here, so it's 2009, I think we're right around 100. Um, since we opened here, but that doesn't count all the ones I had in the past there. So, yeah. Okay. And that's mainly a, a DPT, um, a student DPT as they're going through, they're coming to Correct. Uh, that does do not count. clinical rotation. Correct. I, I don't count. Um, we always have um, interns from like Penn State who are going through a kinesiology program and things like that. I, just purely PT students in that, in that count. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot. Great. So in preparation for this uh, episode, you, you had sent over your 156 slide presentation. I understand you've delivered that quite a few times as well. Um, and it, do you have a number there? Um, that's a great question. Um, uh, I would say probably about 10 to 12, although it's been videotaped by the Philadelphia Consortium that is supposed to be supposed to be available to the students out of the whole Philadelphia Consortium. I just don't know how many of them actually have watched it. Um, happened right around the pandemic. So, you know, some of that stuff might have gone through the cracks, but instead of having me come to each individual university, um, I was able to tape it for all the universities in Philadelphia. Um, so that's Temple, Widener. Um, university of Sciences, Philadelphia, Drexel, um, Arcadia. Um, there's seven of them. Newman, is Newman in there? I forget, but I think there, there's seven schools that out of that consortium. Yeah. Great. Uh, cool. So um, when, when you, you're working with a, a DPT, they're going through, obviously, you know, we've all had that experience. We're working with a CI uh, primarily on our clinical skills, our, our diagnostic skills as well. How do you bridge that conversation over to uh, finance? Do you bring it up? Do you wait for them to bring it up? How do you do that? So before I started making the presentation to the university, I used to make it part of our educational program where I would just spend two to three hours at one point in time and just block it off and go over with them kind of the presentation that I created that I went and showed the universities. Um, however, when we got busier, I just, I don't have that opportunity at work. Um, so I will email them what I sent to you if, if they're really interested. Um, but I will allow the students kind of come up to ask me. And I would say 25% of the, the students um, have an interest in becoming owners and doing it the way we're doing it in private practice, you know, patient putting patients really care first because um, the, they're ultimately the the answer they always give me at the end is they said how can I go about and, and only treat 
you know, one to two patients an hour and still make a profit. It's like, well, it's, you, you have to be willing to understand how much money you can make and, and how much, you know, that's important to you. So I always tell people for the most part, for the first eight years of my practice, I made less money than I did when I left the job I left. Um, but I was the happiest I ever was. Um, now the past three or four years, um, because of all the hard work we put in there, uh, it has been highly profitable, but obviously the insurance companies and uh, all the new cuts have happened. Um, we've seen a reduction about four and a four and a half percent on regards per patient visit, even though our total revenues have gone up, the per patient visits down by about four and a half percent right now um, for yep. us. Declining reimbursements, definitely one of the major trends uh, over the last five years within private practice, also declining physician referrals, nothing new that's been in the research as right. well. Um, the, the one thing that we've talked about here uh, on previous podcast episodes, and um, I know multiple times at the summit with uh, both Chris Redding and the late uh, Jeff Ostrowski is the bubble that will never burst. And that is the cost of education. Yes. So um, I know from my experience, DPTs that we're talking with, uh, average is uh, 160 uh, K or so that they're coming out of school with their DPT. Um, that's basically a mortgage payment for the next 30 years. Can you, uh, and I reviewed your slides and I'm in agreement with everything that you have in there. Can you talk about a little bit of, uh, of the research that you've done, the surveys that you've done, what you've found, and also um, ultimately how you can help uh, steer the, that young DPT in the right direction? So the, the average student that I have over all the presentation I've done is about $150,000 in debt. Um, and so that's quite considerable. So the rule of thumb typically is um, one to one, meaning your debt should be equal to the salary you make your first year out of school. All right. So if you're going to make $65,000, um, $70,000 coming out, you shouldn't have more than sixty-five dollars to $70,000 in debt. Um, if you can do that, you'll be fine. Anything under that, and I tell the students, if you're under that point in time, this whole debt you know, crisis that everybody talks about, you're fine. That doesn't apply to you. All right. Now, the people that, uh, as, uh, you, know, that you have um, that are $220,000 in debt, so now they're three times above that. Um, it, I mean, you are talking, as I said, a, a mortgage. And, and one of the slides that I put in there is, is in regards to whatever you do, if you are currently dating another PT that's in the same thing, think about breaking up and finding a new relationship, you know? Um, and I kind of say that half-heartedly, but you need to have those honest conversations with your partners, you know, because, you know, if you have two PT students that fall in love and each one's $150,000 debt, now you're $300,000 in debt. I don't know how you ever, ever dig out of that hole and have family and raise children and stuff like that. And obviously you can. Um, and, and there's a book that I mentioned in there, which I know you're a fan of, is the Ryan Holiday, uh, Obstacles Away. And I tell all the students um, that this is the biggest obstacle you're going to face. And if you can figure out how to get over this, over this, under it, you know, through it, however you want to talk about it, that this will prepare you for any other obstacle that you're going to face later on and, and allow you to be say, hey, I can do this. I'm going to be successful. Um, so try to turn it into an advantage, not a disadvantage, but recognize the problem that you have um, and, and recognize that. And I don't think this is a PT problem. I think this is a generational problem um, in regards to I have a 19 year old son um, and talking to his friends and stuff like that. They, they all want to graduate with the $400,000 home, the two weeks of vacation with one of them being overseas somewhere, 
the $45,000 luxury car, which is a bottom end luxury car, you know, and they want all this stuff right away because that's what they remember their parents having. Um, and that's what their grandparents have. They don't remember because they were too young when the parents are living in an apartment driving a eight-year-old Civic, you know, that has 150,000 miles on it, you know, and doing that for year after year to save up to pay off stuff. Um, now, obviously the cost of inflation in regards to the cost of, um, university, your education is way higher um, than it was, than has been the cost of reimbursement for PTs and then su such as salaries. Um, another thing that, and maybe this is something that um, we'll talk about later, but one of the things I do tell PT students is when you're looking for a raise, so let's take away your initial, sorry, but you're looking for a raise. How do you know if you're owed more money? And, you know, if you're getting paid your right amount, and I give them the 2.75 number. Your revenue that you bring in has to be 2.75 times your salary. Um, if you, if your salary, your revenue is three times your salary, you're underpaid. Now, if your, if your revenue you're bringing in is only two times your salary, please do not go to your bosses and bring that up, and don't let them know that they're overpaying you. All right, but that's the average cost in the medical field is 2.75. Um, so when you figure that out, I mean, that's a lot of revenue that you have to bring in and a lot of patients that you have to see. Um, so that sometimes puts to them a certain perspective of why they're getting paid what they're getting paid. And obviously a new grad is not gonna get paid more um, than an experienced therapist because experienced therapists can see a little bit more and do a little bit better. And just for full disclosure, and I tell my students, you know, I do it at the presentation, my salary currently right now and my business partner's salary, the two co-owners of the business, we pay ourselves $70,000 a year. That's it, that's what we pay. Um, so when the, the, the grads are like, well, I don't know, I think it can't work for you for 60 or 65. I'm like, you understand I'm only making 70 myself, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to pay you significantly more than I'm paying myself. Now we do have a very healthy bonus structure. Um, so that if they do really well, and we do, we do really well, they will also do very well too. Um, so great. So let's deconstruct that a little bit. Um, okay. And full transparency i'm at 75k so i guess i'm overpaid uh, <laughs> in the marketplace a little bit but um and uh yeah i, I appreciate that transparency chris the mm -hmm. you, so the, the 2.75 number just to clarify that's total compensation right correct so that's yes. total employment cost that's base salary uh bonuses in there um pay time off if that if we have to bring a per diem person okay. in uh, well i i i I base it, I don't base it on bonuses because that's extra. I base it mostly okay. on your, your defined costs. So that's your, your salary, healthcare. 401k, your healthcare, you know, that kind of stuff. You right. know, the, the cost to bring in a, a replacement person, I, I, it probably figures in there somewhere, um, but I haven't delved into that deep, but the, you know, that's a general thing. I said, the bonuses, I don't ever figure because bonuses are what they are. They're extra, you know, that means you've done really well and you've, you definitely have exceeded that number, you know, so. If the bonus is a percentage of profit, the per diem expense would influence Correct. that. So Correct. yes, Correct. six of one, half dozen of the other. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, great. So some other things that you uh, brought up in there is I want, and by the way, I have an almost 18 year old going through the same exact thing, uh, at first of many. <laughs> <laughs> for me and yeah, luckily, uh, luckily i stopped at three chad so yeah. <laughs> quitter uh, yeah absolutely. i'm okay with that you can pay for me that that's fine you know no, no worries but um the, the 
exactly what you said. And I can remember, it, it seems like yesterday, you know, living in the uh, two bedroom apartment. Well, I can remember living in the one bedroom apartment, um, driving the, it wasn't a Civic for me. It was an old Saturn um, with seats were all stained and falling apart and just in constant disarray and maintenance. Um, and uh, yeah, just being flat broke, 100% uh, broke. And they, um, outside of our oldest, you know, there is absolutely zero memory of that at all. So it was like, this is the way that things always are. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking to that uh, young DPT, here's what I found. And I, I want to get your viewpoint on this as well. Um, they, you know, they, they bought into a dream, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to help. I'm going to the university seven years at 50 K, which I think might be an underestimate. Um, We'll, we'll see how, if the pandemic changes tuitions at all. Um, but uh, on the other side, my guess is not. Yeah. Um, but seven times 50K is $350,000 in total expenses. When you and I went through, I was only allowed to borrow $24,000 total. Is that what you were the same, similar? It, yeah, I graduated with the maximum and it was, I had, I actually had 40, I think $44,000 in, in, in debt. Um, again, I could have gone to the University of Sciences for $10,000 a year cheaper. However, they didn't guarantee housing that, you know, after my freshman year. So Scranton was a much more preferable option for me. Um, so, and to, it's funny how cycles, you know, cycle back. So my son's at the University of Scranton now, and he could have gone to Susquehanna University for $10,000 a year cheaper. And he's like, well, I really like Scranton. I was like, how do I argue against that? Because I had that same conversation, you know, eons ago with my mom kind of thing. So now he is smart. He's going into the dental field. So anybody who's watching this and if it's any students, whatever, that's part of the speech. Go find and marry a dentist, you know, like be a PT and marry, a dentist, you know, because then your life will be much better off, you know, so. I feel like I'm supposed to give a legal disclaimer here, but we'll, yes. we'll, yeah. we'll keep rolling. <laughs> um, great. So, uh, and just as an aside here, uh, I, I went to Misericordia, which uh, we would always scrimmage the University of Scranton uh, every fall and, uh, yeah, played a lot of sports against each other. So what are they 20 miles apart? If that, yes, absolutely. Misery score is to case. Anybody doesn't know it, it's in the Guinness book of world records. Cause it's surrounded by the most graveyards. I think you have five Three. graveyards that surround in Misericordia, you know? Yeah. So. I, I think it's, uh, three sides are, are adjacent to a, a, a graveyard, something weird like that. But, and that is true. What, what you said, um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what's Scranton in the Guinness Book of World Records for? Do you know that one? Um, it's, it's probably for the smallest area that celebrates St. Patrick's Day more than anybody. Else. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a there is an alcohol consumption record to be had there. You look at the phone book in Scranton; every corner has a, either a church or a bar on it. You know, like it's you know, so yeah, yeah crazy. And that's also uh, home of the office, right? Mm -hmm. um, for yeah. for everybody, uh, all the office fans out there. Okay, so. Um, now, today, you, you know, DPT student coming through, I bought into the idea that, hey, $350,000, I'm going to come out of school with this amazing education, high quality of care that's going to be extremely valuable in the marketplace. Just last spring, we had, uh, oh, maybe I'm lying to you. It was, it was pre-pandemic. We had 17 uh, LVC uh, graduating DPTs in my office. We did a whiteboard session. I recorded it. And they were just floored that they had never heard of declining reimbursements, 
um, you know, didn't understand how direct access laws work. They, they were just very um, naive. And, you know, they're looking at association uh, figures, which I happened to look at yesterday, you know, the average um, position being posted right now is $50, or I'm sorry, this was a, like a career builder or salary.com, you know, uh, but I was looking at PTs, average uh, wage was $50 an hour. And we had to have that, have that conversation, fair market value in outpatient PT setting, which you've all indicated that you want to work in, is not $50 an hour. It's not even $50 an hour for somebody that's been out of school for, you know, and has 20, 25 years of experience. That's not real, right? So here is what we're seeing in the marketplace. It's more like 65, 70, 75 here in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. as a starting salary. And then you can earn, you know, additional uh, bonus money or profit sharing, just like what you're talking about. So, um, and they, they were floor devastated. How am I going to do that? I don't understand how I'm going to take care of my student loan, and then also have living expenses. You know, do I have to live with my parents? Now that's kind of embarrassing. I'm a doctor of PT and now I have to live with my parents. What does that look like for me? So how do you break the news to them gently and then set them about on a path of, uh, of good guidance? So in the presentation, and I'll do it here at the work if, if a student's really interested, I actually, we, I do a budget spreadsheet. Here's how much you're gonna make, all right? Here's your student's you know, loans. And it's amazing that when I, I like the school, some schools mandate that they have to return the worksheets that I send them. And that's where I'm getting all the data from them. Other schools make it optional. Well, it's much more applicable if everybody fills it out, even if you have zero loans, you know. And so on there, I have them list everything down. Housing, um, housing costs, um, utilities, um, car payments, uh, entertainment for the year, clothing, food, vacations, and list all this stuff. And it's amazing how many of them, when they're going through this, they, you know, and they'll come and tell me, they're like, I had no idea how much I owed. I have no idea what my interest rates are because I'm making them look that up. No idea when I have to start paying it back, you know. Don't know what options I have, whether I need to do the 10 year, the 15 year, the 20 year, the 30 year, you know, because they're all potential options for them. Um, and, and we go through that whole process and then we put it on a, a spreadsheet. And so what I'll do is I'll pick somebody that's at the one to one ratio. So $70,000 or below. I'll pick somebody that's usually around 150,000, the average. And then I'll pick somebody that's over 200,000. And we go through a budget for the whole class, those three options. And at the end, you know, them not, without them seeing it, say, does this person profitable or negative by the end of the, you know, their month based on what they filled out, you know, because they filled out ahead of time and gave me all of what they think their expenses are, you know, and, and some people they're surprised they're actually profitable, you know, but a lot of times, you know, they're not, it's, you know, they'll occasionally when I run through a budget, it'll be at the end of the month, they're minus $2,300 a month, you know, and that's a real eye-opening experience. I'm like, okay, well, you wanted to live down in Philadelphia by yourself in an apartment, you know, like, well, that's just not applicable. You know, you, you can't do that. You know, living at home for a couple of years to, to knock this down, it's not a bad idea. Going to buy a new car when you could be driving the beat up Saturn is not a, a, an option. Going out to dinner every night as opposed to taking leftovers for lunch is, is not an option. Where do you save money? So we go over the, the, the whole negatives. And after I do the whole negative part, so I end that part with the Chris Farley, you're going to live in a van down by the river presentation from Saturday Night Live, you know. And so we watch that. And, you know, it's amazing how many have never seen this. You know, they don't know that at all. Matt um, Foley, right? Yes. Matt, Matt Foley is the character. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I just say Farley. I'm so yeah, Foley, Matt Foley. Um, Chris Farley, Matt Foley. And then um, the last part of the presentation then is the positive part of the presentation. And then I go about how you're going to 
pay off the debt, and then how you're going to retire. And then we go through that whole process and to show them this is if you do it right, this is how it's going to work, you know, so that by the time they get out, then they have an appreciation that you're probably going to need a second job, you know, and that's the other thing I do tell the, the students, like you're going to need some other source of income that's coming in, um, whether that's working as a PT in home health, whether that's working for your current employer and asking, can I work extra hours that are beyond, you know, like you know, work on a Saturday morning or you guys aren't open on Tuesday. Can I open Tuesday and see other patients and make more money doing that way? Things that we all did. I mean, that's what I did when I was out of school. You know, I worked extra hours at a different place, you know, and that way I could pay off my student loans um, before I inherited my wife's dental student loans, you know, because, you know, that's you <laughs> married a dentist. I married a dentist. Yes, <laughs> I absolutely did. Yes. Um, and and we and all full disclosure, we will pay off her student loans when we're 62, you know, so, you know, let's. <laughs> And that's why they feel like PTs are going to be nowadays. You're going to be 62 and finally pay it off, you know, so. Um. There was a big point that you had in your presentation that I saw that um, it is what we lead with when, uh, and I'll give you some of the background. Our uh, new DPTs, we had an internal program in the past called uh, Madden University. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, the, the one thing that came up was, you know, what do I do with? extra money. I, you know, when I get earned bonus money, do I pay off my student loan more quickly? Do I go out uh, or do I pay off consumer debt? Do I, you know, what do I do? And what I had them go through was anytime you get extra, like I, I would make the minimum. And I think you made the same point. Mm -hmm. I, I would make, the, you, you know, first of all, consolidate my loans, get them down lowest interest rate possible. That's exactly what we did. Then what I did is rather than um, trying to pay them off more quickly, anytime I got extra money, I would invest it in myself or businesses, right? So in the beginning, it was, you know, getting another certification, advancing my career, having a better knowledge base. Then over time, it became taking marketing and business courses that made me more valuable in the marketplace, not necessarily getting an MBA, but basically a real world um, MBA. So then when it, uh, very quickly within the first few years, I was able to, you know, double, triple my worth in the marketplace. Um, and then taking care of that student loan was not a big deal. We were able to, you know, do the payments on an accelerated schedule once I had that earned income. If I would have drained all my cash in the beginning, I, I wouldn't have had anything to invest in furthering my own knowledge in my business career. And I would have ended up with the same exact liability that had a small debt in it and, you know, no farther market value, increased market value um, within the marketplace. Your view. What I tell the students is that, that, you know, you have to know there's a, there's two personalities. So there is the Dr. Spock personality and there's the the puppy personality, all right? And you have to know who you are, all right? So if you're the Dr. Spock personality, your interest rates on your loans are historic lows still at this point in time. So if you can lock it in and, and it's at 3%, 4%, you know, because, you know, luckily most of them are not at 7, 8%. Now some still are, it just depends on where you got your loans from. So if you can lock it in at three, four, 5%, then logically it says pay the bare minimum on it and use that extra money to invest in either your education to make yourself more profitable or to invest for retirement because 65% of all the money you're gonna earn 
for retirement is in the first 10 years of working and typically in your 20s, you know, so it depends on how late you want to work. So that's the Dr. Spock approach. The, the puppy dog approach is, is that, you know, you need a sense of reward for paying something off. All right. So that's, you know, like when you, if you don't consolidate your loans um, or if you have outliers, then you pay off the smallest amount first. So you feel like you're getting somewhere. All right. The worst thing to do is to never feel like you're getting anywhere at all um, for those type of people, because then they just get overwhelmed and depressed. So that, I think you have to do a psychological analysis of yourself and figure out what's best. Um, but logically, the best thing to do is to pay the bare minimum and invest that money on a historical 8% return rate, okay? Or invest in yourself, as you said, into business knowledge. Because what does school not teach you? doesn't teach you anything about marketing, business, anything like that. So those are courses that will potentially be a lifeline for you if you want to be a business owner um, down the road. And, and let's be honest here. I mean, that is the way you can control and do it the way you want to. And hopefully you can increase your earnings. You know, my the one problem that we talk about in the presentation is that PTs are a cap profession. So I talk about this to anybody who wants to go to PT school. It, you're going to start off high. So when you look at it, it's like, okay, if, if you go to the general population and say, when you graduate, take the debt out of the situation, you're going to make sixty-five dollars to $70,000 a year. You don't have to work outside. You know, if you work in an outpatient setting, you may not have to work weekends. You don't have to work holidays. You know, you're going to have to work 13-hour shifts. You know, there's positive and negatives, but you're going to make that kind of money. And that's your starting salary. And people are like, well, sign me up for that. Well, the problem is it's a cap profession. Find me the PTs who are making more than 85. So you may start at 60, you know, but your whole career, you know, like the top you're going to make is 85. Whereas a, like say a teaching profession, they get paid low to start off. They may only get 35 or 40. By the time a teacher retires, they're making $100,000. You know, like they can triple their salary by the time they're done. You can't triple PT salary. There's no, PTs aren't making, if you're not a business owner, you're not going from 60 to 180,000 by the end of your career. It just, it doesn't happen. Um, so, you know, that's, you have to understand that coming out of school right away. Yeah, that's a very fair point there, Chris. Um, the, and the, the thing that I always bring up is how much more does Capital Blue Cross or Highmark, how much more do they give us for the therapist that has 25 years of experience? Zero. It's, just, it's still a time code and we're reimbursed the same exact way. Um, the, the other thing that I want to ask you, as a practice owner, how do you juggle, how do you have uh, the conversations with the young DPT that's coming in and you don't have to use any, um, don't want you to get yourself in trouble, violate any confidentiality, but I get to have these conversations frequently where uh, DPT will come in with an unrealistic expectation of what they're worth in the marketplace. You know, their friend just got a traveling job for 45 bucks an hour and they're coming in with, hey, um, you know, I'm 80K. How do you have that conversation with a DPT um, to, uh, you know, set the right expectations without sounding like a jerk? So one of the best advice was ever given to me when I was coming out looking for a job, and I tell this to students too, is that don't take the job that pays you the most. Now, if you find your dream job and it pays you the most, well, then you've hit the jackpot, Okay. But the reason why it typically pays the most is because it's not that advantageous of a job, meaning they have to pay more to attract somebody there to work. So either the setting's not right, the location's not right, your hours aren't great. You know, there's something that typically is not what we consider to be desirable. Um, and what happens is you take that type of job and now you're stuck in that job 
and it's psychologically very hard to take a pay cut to go to the job that you want to do. Um, now look around, you know, the jobs that you want. So you want to work at a place where you can deliver high quality care. You don't want to be seeing six patients every hour. You know, like that's not what you want to do. Well, no. Do you want to actually put your hands on a patient and manually make them better? Well, yes. Well, you know, here's the numbers. You tell me how much I can pay you. Let's reverse roles. How do you want me to do that? How should I be able to pay you that money? You know, and, and, and I know you are at your office. We're an open book office here. Like we have staff meetings, we go over everything. I mean, we, we don't hide anything from anybody. Everybody knows exactly how much money we made, how much revenue we brought in, our expenses. When we decide to make a big purchase, like the laser that we purchased, I mean, it was a office decision um, because that's the only way that I want a staff that, that buys in. And so I, I'm not constantly having to replace staff because they had unrealistic expectations they know what's going to happen, you know, up front. So when we hired our third therapist, she had been an aide for us, was never, ever coming back to our area to work because, you know, it's the middle of central Pennsylvania. I mean, who wants to work and live in central Pennsylvania? You know, nobody wants to live there, you know, minus the cost of living, the great people, the, you know, change of seasons, but all that, you know, whoever wants to live in that kind of stuff, you know? So she came back, she took less money. She was working for a a large corporation, I'm not going to name who they are, but a very large corporation where she was seeing by herself 100 to 120 visits a week, mostly Spanish speaking, where she she was doing evaluations and treating people at exactly the same time, not delivering any type of quality of care. And so when she's having a bad day here and I'll pull her aside and go, you want to go back there? And she, it immediately changes her opinion right away. And, and and she's able to make suggestions. She's able to treat the type of patients. And she says, hey, can I take extra time to treat this patient? Absolutely. Now, can we do that all the time? The answer is no, but she'll tell you. I mean, she's happier than she's ever been. And now she's making more money than she was there because you know we're in the profit sharing and stuff like that. So, but I think that's what you have to do ahead of time. You really have to just lay it all out as a business owner and say, if you don't tell people, how well you're doing, right? And they see you driving the, you know, the luxury car and living in a nice home, you know, and, and you're cutting out of work by two o'clock every day because they don't realize what you did, you know, the first 20 years you started the practice, then they'll say, well, God, they're making all this money off of me. They can afford to pay me more, you know? So I think that's the best way to combat that is just be open front, up, honest and show them this is exactly how much money we're making, you know, so. Yeah, perfect, Chris. Um... Yeah, and I'll agree on your latter point um, for sure. We, so some of the things I wanted to tease out of there, the the open book, pop, the principles that you're talking about there, that's the Jack Stack great game of business where you're sharing, here's our income, here's our expenses. The biggest things that we've seen uh, just from doing that is the clinician rarely accounts for, they see what they're billing out, so, you know, we're billing out $200, $300 a visit, which is an arbitrary number. Correct. We don't look at what's coming in, right? So you're making $50 every 10 minutes off of me, right? But the, they're not looking at what is actually coming in or if we have a capped insurance that only pays, you know, $50 a visit or something like that. Um, they, they, they don't see that. They also, the thing that surprises them the most is that we have to pay other staff that is not clinical, namely billing and reception and marketing. And they're like, oh, I never really thought about that. I just thought, you know, that I walked in and I did my thing and everything else was taken care of for free. So the, there are some of the insights um, that come out of that. 
any, is there anything else that you do? Um, like, uh, I'll ask a simple one. How often are you doing raises? Do you correlate it with um, reimbursements? Um, it sounds like you have a pretty generous profit sharing bonus program based, you're sharing a percentage of your profit. Um, how are you thinking about raises or cuts or how do you, how do you maintain 12 years in, you probably have had this by now. How do you maintain fair market value for your compensation for your team? I would say we're probably below fair market value for our ancillary staff um, in regards to their salary. Um, base pay, base pay. Base pay, yeah. correct. Um, where we make it up for is they know the better we do that they're, they're getting reimbursed, you know, so with the, with the bonus structure. Um, so that, that's, that's how we, we do that. Um, I always, and I tell people in interviews and everything like that, salaries are relatively set. Raises are definitely not a given. It's a, you went above and beyond, you know, um, if, if Eric and I haven't changed our salary in, you know, since 2010, the odds of you getting your salary changed are probably pretty low, you know, um, you know, but we still have to take that into account. So I think my office manager and all full disclosure, I don't think she had a raise for like five years. And then finally last year, she sat down and said, you know, it's time and we looked at it and we're like, yep, it's time, you know, like it, it, it but it's not like, okay, we're just going to give you the quarter, that 50 cents, that dollar, you know, and, and, and I had it the other way around. I was the employee for a physician-owned practice. I knew how much money they were making. I was seeing the books and stuff like that. And, and the one year they came to me and they said, you're getting a 34 cent raise, but your health care that you're going to pay for is extra 33 cents. So essentially you're getting a penny an hour raise. I'm like, Mike, it was the dumbest thing they could have ever done. It, 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 took, it would have been just better if you as the employer had come and said, your health care has gone up so much that you know, we're not going to make you pay anymore, but you're not going to get a raise. That sounds so much better than saying we're essentially, you know, giving you a penny an hour raise, you know, like it just, it, it, it doesn't look well. It doesn't sit well kind of thing, you yeah. know, so. 20 bucks a year. They probably would have been better just handing you a $20 bill and not saying anything. Correct. <laughs> but I, I think that most of the employees don't look at it that way. They're like, oh, great. I'm getting a 34 cent raise. Okay, perfect. This is how much more money I'm making it. You know, it's in the grand scheme of things. It's how much are you taking home? You know, yeah. so. Very fair. Um, any other big points that you make when you're uh, talking about the, the cost of education um, and giving young DPTs direction over the course of their career financially? Um, one thing I definitely talk about, and it's it's it, this is not a PT thing. This is a generational thing, and this is the rich dad poor dad thing. Is what is an asset and what is a liability, and, and we talk about that. Okay, so uh, yeah, most of your books that you have, I have a lot of my same show. Right. <laughs> um, but the the idea, of, and I'll ask them, you know, in the class after we go for what an asset and what a liability is, um, I'll ask them, what is your education? You know, and, and then it, they really sit there and, and pause and think, you know, and, and I tell them that it should be an asset, but it takes a long time to become an asset. Now, what's really interesting is that to tell them, it's like, okay, you move in this neighborhood. So you buy this $250,000, $300,000 house and next to you is living, you is the guy who works at the local battery factory. And the other side of you is the plumber. And the other side is, and, and these, you know, neighbors 
didn't go through seven years of school, you know, and they're living the same place as you. How is that possible? Well, because they don't have a mountain of debt, you know, so even though their salary is less, they, it takes you until you're in your fifties or sixties to finally catch up and pass a person who didn't have any of that. Now, if you're lucky enough that either because of athletic wise, well, as, as Warren Buffett says, the genetic lottery, did you win it with athletic ability? Did you win it because you weren't, you know, very smart? Are you born in the right family? And if you're at that person who you don't have a lot of debt, then PT is going to be easy and you'll be able to work in a place that you want to and be very happy. You know, it's the hard part is those students that have the $220,000 in debt, you know, because it, it's, it's just, it, it's really hard. Um, so yeah, and I, as I said, I, I've worked with some of those PTs and, you know, if you, you lay it all out for them and understand it's a long road and they're not going to be able to do it right away, but they still need to pay themselves first. They still need to invest so that they can eventually have that idea of they can retire and get ahead, you know, so. Yeah, very fair. Um, do you want to, the hiring the fourth PT, do you want to do that uh, recorded or do you want me to, we, yeah, we can, can end the episode, right? No, no, no. Okay, ahead. great. So um, huge jump, right? 655, I think you said, to 800 plus. Yes, correct. Okay. So well, actually, we, went from, we went actually from January, so 502, February because of snow, you know, because it is central Pennsylvania. So it does snow occasionally. Don't be surprised by this, you know, that we saw only 485 and then we went to 823. So we, I mean, we just, it went from being like, okay, we're barely making a profit to, I don't know where to put anybody, you know, like it, it was a snap of a, a finger kind of thing for us, you know, yeah. so. Very fair. So um, when did you hire the third PT? Um, we hired the third PT <laughs> and not trying to promote your stuff right when we were ready. And it was actually called Product X back then, right before we were going to do Growth X, because it's like, okay, we're going to spend this money to go and, and take the next level of, of marketing to try to bring in. We need to have somebody prepared. And what's interesting is the person we brought in, um, I said, was a past eight of ours. And she loves Parkinson's and chronic pain and gait and balance issues. So we're like, great, we're going to bring somebody in that can do all that stuff. Well, that's the problem now is now we have a waiting list for them to see her because that is not as profitable as seeing somebody who has a knee scope or a back injury or a neck injury because they take a lot longer. So it's like, okay, we brought in this person, but we don't advertise at all that we do that anymore, you know, because we just, we're so busy, you know? So yeah, yeah that, so that's why we brought her in is because we knew we were going to be marketing and we needed to be able to, you know, fix the funnel. So we had enough space, you know, to put people. So, yeah. So um, how much space do you have? Uh, it's a little over 2000 square feet. Okay. So you could, you can see 200. Correct. Kind of tight, but it's there. It's possible. Correct. We're only open four days a week right now. So we need to open on Tuesday, which will allow us then to see the 200, you know, so especially with COVID the way it is and stuff like that. And then our average patient before COVID was here an hour and a half to two hours in the office. Now we have to limit it to about 75 minutes just because of space. You know? Okay. So, yep. Fair. Um, so you then said something about consistency or a, a longer runway. Yes. So, uh, and by the way, we, we have the same exact thing going on now at our clinics where um, the pandemic clinic where Matt just hired the third clinician, uh, they just had, I think, 156 or 165, something like that. So their schedules are full. So it's, should we bring on that other person? They have the same exact thing, 2,000 square feet. Um, the Chris uh, Serotowitz, which is really hard to say with my 
trays in. Yeah, with my retainer trays in. Um, they just hired their fourth and they're the same thing. They're filling up right away. He has uh, roughly 2,000 square feet. And um, yeah, just so how do you balance that? How do you think through that? Uh, we, so let me ask you, do you have a PT pipeline right now? Do you have therapists that you are in the interview process that you just haven't made an offer to yet? We, we have not. Um, we reached out to a couple. Um, I have never, luckily, I've never had to advertise for a PT because I've had so many students in the past. So it's like an odd job interview, you know. Great. So um, we have somebody who is pretty interested, um, but she doesn't graduate until August. And I that's really a hampering factor. I was hoping she was graduating in May. You know, if she was graduating in May, it was going to line right up if she wanted to jump in. So it's yeah. a matter of can we wait till August, you know, and now granted, we have vacations coming up in, in the summer. So it's like, okay, not only are we filled, but how are we going to cover all those vacations? And in and, and, and all fairness, you know, we talk about one of the reasons I want to do everything is because I want to work less hours. And I was finally getting to that point. And now it's like, my wife's like, you're back to working more hours than you ever before. Well, you can't go from five to 600 people to 800 people and not be working more hours like it's just it, it's 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 not possible so I, I think it just that's going to be we're all gonna have to work more hours which you know we have to reimburse ourselves for that somehow um but so that we can provide that runway so that we know it's it's a it's a slam dunk when we bring whoever it is on then so yeah so um the, i i would think about it in terms of this can you and you're trading 40 hours a week right now unfortunately yes okay <laughs> So it, can we hire and, and your partner is as well? Yes. Well, actually, no. Um, so one of the smartest decisions I ever made, which was one of the dumbest decisions, what I mean by this is that I waited so long, is that I, I, because I started the business and I never wanted to be that person who doesn't, that puts something else on somebody else that I could do, you know, and that's a really hard lesson. It, it was, it took me a while to learn that as a PT to let aides do my stuff that like, I don't have to fold the laundry. I can, and I do help out when I need to, but that kind of transition. So I, I was in charge of all the students. I was in charge of the managing the clinic and treating, and it was just burning me out. So finally on January 1st, I transitioned the managerial role over to him. And one of the things I did when I transitioned the managerial role over to him was I said, all right, I always wanted extra time to be able to do the managerial stuff that I needed to do correctly. So we're going to block you off on Fridays. It's nothing we ever did for myself, but we're going to do for you. Now, that being said, I have to be 100% honest with you, the past eight weeks, so we started in January. So the first three or four weeks, that was great, you know, but now those those blocked hours are, he's, yeah, he's working 40 hours a week now too, you know, so. Yeah, so think about, um, consider hiring a PT, even to bridge the next, five or six months for the licensing process to take place, onboarding, training, everything else. Absolutely. Where you're um, replacing yourself in a clinic, you're starting another schedule, right? You're bringing on another schedule and it, it gives you both time to work on your business. Now you might be buying yourself 10 hours a week, 20 hours a week, whatever is feasible, but highly consider that because most of the um, scalable growth that we see in our private practice journeys is when you start to step out of the clinic and the, the classic pitfall, the, the knee jerk reaction, the emotional uh, reaction as well. You know, I, I'm the best, like, you know, I, I have the highest quality of care and it, there's a, this missing component when I'm not in the clinic. And oddly, 
most of the time that you do that, you hit records um, as you start to back away if you've done solid job training. So um, it also exposes, Chris, where if you have any um, processes or systems that are broken anywhere, it'll expose it when you step away. Because right now, if you're there, you might be able to breathe life into some systems and processes in a way where if you just step back and now you're in your office for 10 hours a week, breaking down metrics, working on personnel, working on training, um, corrective actions within your business, um, it, it, it's gonna help expose those. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. To, to reiterate your point for everybody who's watching, I knew, and you can tell us to the young PTs, and I tell my young PTs and my patients, when I first went out of school, it always frustrated me that people didn't want to work with me. They wanted to work with the other PTs because that's who they knew. And it's like, I can't wait until I can become that PT that everybody wants to see. And that is a curse because I, 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 now it's like, I can't get away because everybody, and, and my business partner is the same way. It's like, we have these people that only want to see us, you know, and it's like, I don't have room to put a new patient. I don't have room to schedule an interview because everybody wants to see just us. So it's, it's like, it, it's a curse. It's almost better if I wasn't as good as what I did, you know, but that's not what you want. I mean, you want to be helping people, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a double-edged sword. You want to be good, but once you're good, then it's hard to pull yourself out, you know? So yeah, it's like my nine-year-old son saying uh, that he wants to start shaving. When can he start shaving? I always say, be careful what you ask for. Right? Yes, absolutely. So um, you're considering hiring the fourth PT other than that runway. And probably what you're saying there is you're looking for consistency in marketing. And can you really maintain this Correct. Uh, demand for your services? Right. The logical question is, what do you have to do? What did you do to create the demand for the services? And what do you have to do moving forward to continue to increase that? Demand? Right. So it, in regards to pre-pandemic, it, it seemed a more steady buildup that it, it seemed like, okay, this is going to make sense that we were going to look open another office, you know, or bring in that fourth P and we had scheduled it out. With the pandemic, because that put everything on hold and the jump changed so quickly. So is the jump because of all the marketing and everything we're doing? So what's different now? Well, we have, we have two funnels uh, as opposed to one. So we're doing a knee and a shoulder workshop. Um, we also have the, the, the GPE, you know, so that's kind of the third funnel we've added the laser. So we've added some of this other stuff. So how much of it is that versus how much of it is this pent up demand for PT as a whole across the nation, you know, and if it's just the fact that there's that pent up demand and that's resolved do the numbers start to, to slide back down or not, because I mean, everything that, that you know, you guys have helped us with um, in regards to moving away from the doctors, you know, which we have. I mean, we have the largest family practice in Burst County is above me, um, right above me, but they're owned by a very large corporation now. And it was small and then there was medium and now they're owned by Penn State Health, you know, and, and, and their scripts now, if they come down to us says patient, you know, request to go down there. Like they can't send to us unless the patient ask them to do that you know yeah. it doesn't matter the relationships we have with them so it's it's all that idea of like okay have we really built it up to the point where that's going to continue um and i mean we i mean we've been doing the the, the product x growth x you know platform and it's very successful but we switched from the low back because that kind of died down and and just making sure that doesn't die down with the you know it's one of those things that's it's the self-limiting beliefs, you know, that, and it's the long, 
history of 2009 to before we did the marketing stuff where we were stuck. Like we never got above 120, you know, like it just never happened. And then we took that next step and we're ready to take the next step. The pandemic hits. And so now you kind of go into that protective shell. Like, okay, I need to protect what I have. And when we hire somebody, and it's what I tell everybody, we are a family. Like, I am not letting somebody go. Like, you know, you're firing yourself, essentially, meaning you're not doing the work needs to be done. You're not showing up, whatever. I, I don't want to hire somebody. And then, you know, you're part of my family. I say, okay, we didn't stay busy enough. And I have to let you go through no fault of your own, through my fault. Like, and I, I just, I think that's the hard part for me is that I, I, I can't do that. And it's not just hiring that person. Now I have to hire that person and I have to hire a front desk person too. So there's, there's once I hire the new PT, I need, cause we finally hired the second front desk person. And now it's like, okay, we just hired them six months ago. And now we're going to have to hire another person. And one thing that I always laugh at is three or four years ago when I heard, you know, like, oh, you need a, a full-time marketing person. I'm like, we're never going to get to the point we ever need a full-time partner. Like, that's crazy. That's, you know, why would you pay that to, you know, it doesn't make any sense until the point where it's like my office manager now is almost a full-time marketing person that she can't help out the front desk. You know, that's, that's not what her job is, but that's what she's doing, you know? Yeah. So it, it does transition that way when you get busy enough. It really does. Yeah. yeah. You, you definitely have to, um, as you scale personnel, so as you bring in more clinicians, definitely a good idea to scale and expand uh, your marketing reach as well. The, I, all right, a couple things on that. W one is uh, you tied in there, Chris, um, you know, marketplace pandemic responses are going to be, you know, the seventh wave or whatever number we're on now. Um, I, I heard a Excellent comment from uh, Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn mm -hmm. and uh, the Masters of Scale podcast. I believe the interview was there, but he has talked about, you know, if you look at the progression, every hiccup speed bump has been a smaller repercussion as we've gone along here to that initial response. So, you know, do we take another step back? It, there's no guarantee that that doesn't happen, but there's pretty good indication now that uh, you know, especially as more and more people are uh, feeling comfortable leaving their house, vaccinated, wh whatever is going on there, right? That they're, um, all trends are in the right direction. Is there a pan up demand? Absolutely. But it's, you know, can we continue to ride that wave? The way that we're looking at it, because um, we're in the very much the same boat is, okay, now all of our teams are busy and full. How can we continue to capture this market demand um, and reproduce it in the future? The key is for us, there's three places you can get new patients. You talked about the referral sources in your area already. That's, you know, hit home. It's hit your same building, right? And mm -hmm. we compete with Penn State and UPMC and everybody here, same, same as you. Yep. So um, the only two other places we can go are past patients. And right now you have a huge past patient list, right, yep. from the last uh, 12 years or so. And, uh, you know, using that as a go-to whenever you need a bump. Um, and then all the other one is going to the public. So we think about media diversification, like in Shrewsbury, once we were established online, then it's okay, where can we expand here? And it's for us, it was print and direct mail. Um, and we start to capture and expand our media presence so that um, those workshops, and especially if there's, you know, anything on, uh, on the Facebook platform changes or our Google uh, SEO, SEM, anything there changes, our online presence that we're uh, diversified and we're mitigating any 
uh, potential wave as much as possible. So in all that rambling, did any of that help you make a decision moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, it's just, it's taking that scary step. And the other thing is, is that as, as it's nice having a balance of a partner, but the problem is that when you have a partner, you have to make sure both people are on board, you know? So it, it, in some regards, you know, it, it'd be much easier decision to make. You just say, okay, I'm going to do it. And then it's all of it's on me, you know, but it, it, it's not. So um, yeah. but now, and my business partner did say when this gets posted, he wants to watch. So I'll tell him just fast forward to the last 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> you know to, to listen to, because it's hearing somebody else say it too, is always very influential, you know. Uh, yeah. so. what, what's your partner's name? Eric. Oh uh, yeah, you did Parish, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. Okay. Um, yeah. The other thing that I do both with uh, Carl and the leadership team at Breakthrough frequently, um, and then also um, at Madden and Gilbert Physical Therapy, is we'll go through a best case, worst case scenario. So here's the decision we want to make. What's the best case scenario if we hire that fourth PT? What's the worst case scenario if we hire the fourth PT? What's the best case scenario if we don't hire somebody? What's the worst case scenario if we don't hire somebody? Um, and you can do, uh, I think it's called a Pew Matrix, P-U-G-H, right, for uh, decision, like a um, just decision analysis. And usually if we talk that out and we go into that meeting, uh, you know, where we put some thought in and, and we're prepped to a degree, we can make a... a swift and decisive and confident business decision. The other thing is with the experience, we know that sometimes we're wrong, <laughs> but at least we put the homework in to um, hedge our bet a little bit, but hopefully that helps you out. Yeah. Great. Um, other than that, Chris, any words of wisdom uh, for uh, listeners, for viewers here in terms of uh, practice growth, emerging from the pandemic, it, anything that you're really looking forward to um, here in the future? Um, so, and the, the podcast goes out to people who aren't just part of members of-, of um, public It's public. So one of the concerns my business partner always has, and it's a funny positive concern, is anytime I go to, and I can't wait till we can do these things in person again, by the way, but anytime we go to a quarterly thing, I always come back spending more money and doing something. And, and, and everything we have done has, has increased revenue, whether it was adding the stop pain, you know, and, and we're talking some little things, you know, whether it's going and doing the, the manual courses with Dan Neff, whether it's adding the laser, whether it's adding another funnel, like any of that stuff have all been scary steps. I always tell people with our business partnership, I am frugal. My business partner is cheap and there is a difference, okay? And, and we say that to patients so he knows that and stuff like that. We'll go to Target and to buy a piece of furniture and we'll argue that people actually thought we were a couple, you know, because of our arguing over a $80 lamp or whatever that we're, we're buying for the office. But it, what helps is when somebody that's in the same market as us. So luckily for us, I mean, you're in central Pennsylvania, you know, so it worked for you that made an easy sell for my business partner because I was always the one that was looking for ways to advance and, and do that kind of stuff. And he's from the Midwest. So he's a little bit more conservative in regards to that. Not that we're on the East coast here or that, you know, we're not out in California where they're willing to do whatever they want kind of thing, but, you know, listen to the experts who have done it before. Um, and, and I mean, there has, you guys haven't steered us wrong in, in anything, not that there isn't, changes in work and one of the things that we have a great coach our coach is connor um 
that he helps us and pushes us and stuff like that. But one thing I promised Connor the first time I met him is I said, you'll never hear me say, but we're different, you know, and I've never said that to him, you know, because every situation is different, but there is commonalities you can find in any practice, whether you're in Texas and California, Oregon, New York, there's certain things that are just consistent across the board, you know, such things as we talked about today is the student debt is consistent across the board. Now it's probably a little bit less down in the South because the tuition is cheaper. I mean, when we're talking these, and this is when I talk to the students um, as a whole, when you look at the, the debt pandemic for student loans, the reason why there isn't a bigger issue that is because you understand that 88% of the people who graduate with student loans are less than $40,000. You know, so that means there's only 12% that are more than that $40,000. So it's, it's not as a big of deal to the large general population and how many people never go to college, you know, so there's so many people like this is not a big deal for our profession. It's a big deal, but that's across the nation, you know, so there, there's truth that that definitely doesn't matter what practice you're in. If you have 10 practices, one practice is just opening up and open for 25 years that are consistent throughout. Um, and, and I think the one thing that we really miss as private practice owners is, is the, the marketing aspect. You know, we, we can be really good at what we do, develop those relationships with our past patients and the local physicians. But if we're not out there actively seeking more and more new patients. And that was the biggest criticism. The biggest reason why we joined, you know, through the, the marketing company was because we couldn't attract new people. We were doing a great job of bringing back everybody who knew, liked, and trust us, but we couldn't get those new people. And, and that's, that's the key. And, and um, so the, the next option after we open up the, bring the fourth PT in is, is then maybe revisiting, opening that another office, because if it's far enough, but close enough away, you have some of those people that are in the middle that you kind of be able to market to that can go both ways, you know? So I think that would be the key. Yeah. We know. have a whole process around that too. I can help you with that. But uh, Chris, thank you so much for being on here. Also, thank you for the work uh, that you're doing with the universities, at least here in Pennsylvania uh, and the adjacent States in terms of helping DPT students. I know you've uh, have invested a ton of time advancing the profession through the next generation of physical therapists. So Thanks for being here again. I know you're busy. This is awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.